walk in this flesh, we will struggle to surrender it to God and fully rely on Him. No believer in the history of our faith has ever fully relied on God all of the time. When we take an honest look at our sources of strength, we will find that relationships, position, money, or possessions often come before God on our list. As Pastor Mark encourages us in today's message, the first step towards relying more fully on God is to be honest and confront those idols. While we may not be able to reach a perfect state of reliance in this world, this Holy Spirit is constantly leading us closer to that end goal. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 with today's edition of Come Alive. If God is described in Scripture as this perfect judge, in other words, God knows all and sees all and can peer into the deepest parts of your hearts, then does he not have the right as that perfect judge to say, it's time for these evil people to go? Uh, it, doesn't that make perfect sense? Well, you know, we, why couldn't we just love them into the kingdom? Well, as we read, we're going to see that this is a bad idea. And Saul has this, I just want to love like Jesus and minister like Jesus attitude. And again, there's nothing wrong with the attitude of doing that. But there's got to be a point in the time because the Jesus I read about in the book of Revelation... Man, there's a point in time where that, that you don't want that kind of love. You want to get touchy-feely with Jesus? Uh, seriously, in the book of Revelation, he's, he comes back as a warrior, as a judge. He comes back to have a battle. They say the, that Megiddo area in Israel is, is almost like a bowl shape, and they think that it's going to be once that battle's done, there's going to be some deep amounts of blood that you would have to wade through it. And so... Sometimes, you know, the Bible says what it says. We don't avoid it here. We don't avoid portions of it or pieces of it. We don't want to take 60 years to go through the Bible because we're avoiding certain places. We're going to go through it. We're going to travel through it. And so, again, you know, Scripture tells us that God's that perfect judge. And so it's time for these evil people to go. Much in the same way, as I said before, if your children were out there and there was a rabid dog, hanging on to one of them. You would be a parent of love, right? You love your kids. How many of us don't love your children? Raise your hand. No hands went up. If you think about it, if there was a rabid dog out there hanging on to one of your kids, what would you do if that dog wouldn't turn loose? We, we would all kill it, 
right? You could be the biggest dog lover in town. And, and so I've had people, you know, and I've told them that little kind of analogy, you know, if a rabbit dog showed up and was trying to hurt your kids and you made a decision to destroy it, and someone might say, well, hey, bro, I, I know he can infect someone and ruin a life, but I just have this thing for rabid dogs, then I would say, okay, cool, you take him home. And people are always like, no, I don't want him. I don't want that rabid dog. I don't want that horrible thing in my house. Aren't you a dog lover, Mark? Yeah, I'm a dog lover. I can tell you, if one of my dogs bites my kids in a mean way, we say bye to the dog. And we don't send them away to a doggy camp. We just end its life. That's unfortunate for the dog, but that's just the way it goes. Because I love my kids more than I love my dog. I, I'm a dad. I'm a, I'm a parent of love. So if something's going to harm our children, we can even take it one step further and say, if some weird pervert were out there trying to get your kids into the car and they were hanging on to your kids and they were holding on to your children trying to take them and hurt them and abuse them in in such a horrible way, what would you do? Wouldn't you? You probably would fight to the death for your children to save them. And and for me to go, well, God, that guy's full of hatred, man. I mean, he the the guy was just doing what was natural to. Him. He's got the, I mean, he's got the gene of perversion, of sodomy, of a child. I mean, can we blame? It's a disease. He's sick. I can't believe that dad was trying to hurt that poor man to save his child. Man, we'd all be like, are you crazy? We love our children. God loves His children. So much so that he's not going to let anything hurt them. And so we see this happen here. We can sin if we object like Saul. We can sin if we object like Saul to God's decision. Deuteronomy 25, 17 declares that the Amalekites attacked Israel from behind when they were tired and weary. Who, you know, when, when you take two million people and you march across a place, guess who's in the back? Women, children, old people, people with a limp, crippled people. Those who can't march up front, the unhealthy, the weak, are in the back. And the Amalekites attack from the back. They attack the, the weakest, the youngest. Well, Mark, the Bible, you know, the Bible is an eye for an eye. Yeah, it says that in the Bible, an eye for an eye. Be careful. So when they were tired and weary, they were attacked. And this has been going on for a while between God and the Amalekites. A long time. Think about this. All the elderly, all the young, all the handicapped were in the back. And who did he attack? The weak. And though God did not act quickly, think about that. What if the children of Israel, what kind of God are you? You didn't act that quick. You didn't protect us. I mean, it's kind of a tough job being God. You got it coming from both ends. Why are you killing us? Well, because you killed them. Well, why'd you do that? Why'd you allow that? He's got a rough job, but he's still God. Though God didn't act quickly, we learn about his patience in the book of Malachi. He waited a long time, and God still continues to wait a long time to judge this world of evil. But there will be a time when God says he's going to judge them, and years later, he kept his word. And today, what we read here is his word being kept. Though the wheels of judgment turn slowly, they do turn. Let me say that. Though the wheels of judgment turn slowly, they do turn. And you might think, oh, I got away with something. Don't think that. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. He's not going to wipe me out. But again, remember, what you sow, you will reap. And, and you don't always reap in the same season. You don't plant watermelons today and tonight get watermelons. It, it takes a little while for them to grow. 
It has to be watered. And so you will reap what you sow. And so God has determined that he has to judge and needs to judge. Because if we say, well, God's not a fair God. Well, he is. He's fair. That's what fair is. When you think about the definition, you do something wrong, you're judged for the wrong. You pay the consequence. It's unfair for us when Jesus paid that penalty for us. Now, if the Amalekites don't want to do this, all they have to do is raise their hand and walk over to the camp and say, we surrender, we're your servants, and they get to live. But here, God says it's too late. There's a point in a time, there's a, there comes a point in a time, a place in a time when it's too late for repentance, for them to turn the other way. And we see this here in the Old Testament. And so, if God didn't wipe them out, they will continue to wipe out others. They will continue to wipe out others. You might think, yeah, but this sounds very severe. But isn't God, isn't it God who determines when and how we shall die? Isn't it him who determines that? And if God did not wipe them out, they will continue to wipe out others. It really isn't a matter of compassion. It's a matter of preserving the right. And and we say it all the time. It goes back to just like in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 where Jesus is sitting there and all those people are coming for healing. They fill up Peter's front lawn. And they're all being healed. And it comes nighttime. And he's like, hey, man, we're shutting down. We're going to bed. And early the next morning, Jesus rises. And he goes out. And they can't find him. And all the people show back up in the front yard. And the disciples are looking for Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We lost Jesus. We lost Jesus. Where's he at? And it says he was praying. And so they finally find him. And they're really kind of freaked out that they couldn't find him. I mean, they're scared. Kind of the way a parent would be afraid if they lost their kid in the mall for a long period of time. And so they're freaking out. They can't find him. They finally find Jesus. Like, oh, man, dude, all the people are back for healing. And he says, let's go. We got other towns to go to. Or we got to go preach the gospel. It, it wasn't about healing people. And it wasn't about compassion. It was about saving the lost. This morning in the leadership, we looked at John twenty twenty one, where it says, as, I send, as my father has sent me, I send you. Send your father sent you. What does father send him to do? Well, to go on a fishing trip. It was like the show, The Deadliest Catch, right? Jesus goes out on this, this dangerous fishing trip, and guess what happens to Jesus? He dies. But he says, as my Father has sent me to do what? What was Jesus sent to do? To save souls. He sends you. And what do we do? Do we go? Have we been sent? Yeah, we've been sent. Are, are we like Saul to listen to hear what God says, to even read it in a book. I mean, he cared enough to even write it down so he wouldn't forget. You know, like David, i got to put it in my calendar. i got to have things buzz and whistle at me all day long. And even then I look at it and I'm like, I'll get to it later and I forget. And, And yet, we, like Saul, choose not to do, to be sent. So we hear it and yet we choose not to do it. And then we wonder why and we're going to see what happens to Saul why our lives are so, well, I wonder why I'm not so happy. I wonder why I'm not this. And again, it really isn't a matter of compassion. It's a matter of preserving the right. Look at verse 4. It says, So Saul gathered the people together, and he numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, and he lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you have showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. 
Now, here's something that's kind of cool. See, if, they, if the Amalekites would have just been cool with the children of Israel, like the Kenites, whose lives would have been spared? But it's based off of a choice of the Amalekites, based off the choice that you and I make today. Is there a choice that we have to make? Well, stay with me. Stay with me and check out what happens. And so in verse 4, we see even though he was given a directive from Samuel, Saul is still relying upon the flesh. He started numbering. He said, okay, I got this many guys right here. We could probably go out. Well, if the Kenites go out there and do battle, and I remember they were kind of cool guys. I mean, we could wipe them out, but uh, we don't have enough. There's, uh, so we send them away. We just tell them we're cool with them. And he sends them away, and that was okay. God didn't have a problem with that. But Saul relies on the flesh. How many of us rely on things like that? Well, God wants me. I know God's calling me to go on this mission trip, so I've got to count how many, not foot soldiers, but dead presidents I have in my wallet before I can go. We rely on the flesh. I've got to work this many hours, so that means I can't, you know, yeah, I've got to work on Sundays because I get extra overtime on Sundays. We rely on the flesh. We don't rely on God. When somebody says, are you a Christian? Yeah. You rely on God 100%? Just tell the truth. No, if you're that guy that relies on the wallet, how much money you make, all that stuff. No, just 70% of the time. Because you should tell the truth as a Christian. But you should rely on God 100% of the time. And so here they, he starts to rely on his flesh again. What is that? Yeah, he numbers the troops, right? Numbering isn't a bad, isn't a bad unless you, well, you have to determine what your strength is. Numbering isn't bad when you... And pulling out your wallet is not a bad thing when you have to determine what your strength is for God and, and inside the amount of money you have. So God has told Saul, I want you to wipe them out. In other words, I'm going to give you the victory. Right? That's what he told him. You go back a few verses with me and take a look in, in verse 2 where Saul said, or Samuel tells him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed them on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. See, God's already told him what to do. When God tells you what to do, you can pretty much be assured that the victory is there. You just have to rely 100% and trust 100% upon him. But yet Saul goes back and starts numbering troops. So he says, I'm going to give you the victory. But Saul says, well, okay, cool. But let me go ahead and make sure. Is that a trust in God or no? No, that's not. You're not trusting God at that point. Just go do it. Just go do it. So what does Saul do? I know God said he's going to give me the victory, but just to make sure, I've got to gather my guys, and based upon the size, I'm going to determine my strength. And, you know, guys, I, I care and love you enough to say, don't do this. When, when God calls you to do something, don't make that mistake. Uh, I mean, who would I be if I, if I told you, well, yeah, it's kind of okay to count, figure it out. Uh, yeah, you should have 20% put away and. You know, when God tells you to act, take that 20% with you because, you know, that, that'll just ensure your victory. No. Just trust in the Lord. There are times in our lives where we may face a, a battle and we may assume that if we, we got the arsenal, we're going to also have the victory. No. That doesn't mean anything. We saw Jonathan last couple weeks, two weeks ago. He didn't have the men, but he had the victory. He didn't have the men, he had the victory. Listen, the arsenal must be attached to an attitude. Your arsenal needs to be attached to an attitude. And the attitude says, I'm not finding strength in my arsenal, but in my attitude, knowing that whatever I got to do, is it's God's who's, who's going to be my strength. 
That's our attitude. Our attitude needs to be it's God that's going to be the strength. He's going to bring the money if he wants you to go on a mission trip. He's going to bring the money when he tells you to make this move. But he's not going to bring it if you do it in your own flesh. There's no way. It's going to do nothing but fail, and I see it fail all the time. And I get the phone calls like, man, I can't believe this is happening. Well, bro, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it. And did the Lord give you a verse? Oh, no, I didn't get a verse. And and I went for counsel, and two out of three people told me not to do it. So I went with the one, because that's what I wanted to do. So I figured that I was one and he was one, so it was a 50-50 split. And so now we call it a leap of faith. Well, now we know then. If it was a leap of faith, God says no. Reverse. Go back. Start praying again. See, my attitude is knowing whatever I got, it's God who's my strength. And we need to note that we don't, what, what we don't see here, though. Take a note what you don't see. We don't see a sign of sacrifice, right? There's no sign of sacrifice in this movement and this battle about to take place. Normally there is. There's no communion with God. There's no conversation with God between Saul and God. There's no conversation. All, all, all these things are missing. How do you apply this practically? How do you and I apply this practically? Well, if God says to me to say to you to go do this and you still got to go talk to God, don't just assume that because I'm the agent of this direction that it's what you are to do, right? Just because I, I say, check it out. Oh, what's the Bible tell us? To be a Berean, weigh all things against Scripture. Make sure it's scriptural. Choosing Mike as a pastor for this church was a big deal. And as it was kind of like, hey, I see this in you. Go home and pray. And it wasn't that Mike came back and said, well, you know, you're the pastor. And if you said for me to be, I'm going to do this. There were some things that took place that I saw in this man's life that was different than I saw in everybody that served here. Certain things that nobody even knew about, not even me, until I snuck up on him one day. And I was like, wow, he's doing that. Or happen to be come upon him while he's doing certain things. And I'm like, wow, you're doing that for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Not to be a man pleaser, not to please me because I didn't know. But it was between him and God. And every time I prayed and said, Lord, who, who, who? It was always Mike, Mark, Mike. You mean me? I'm already. No, Mike. Oh, yeah, you don't get things wrong. So as I asked him to pray, he prayed. He calls back. I prayed. Cool. And what did the Lord say? He said, yeah good deal, bro. See, when you see God on situations you face, you've got an expert. you got the expert. He knows everything about everything. He doesn't say, well, you know, I don't know that much about that subject. You know, I'll get back with you. He might even say, wait, just wait. Why would God say wait if he knows everything? Well, because he knows you might change your mind. And if you change your mind in the midst of everything and you jump into that, then you're like, oh, man, I'm this poor old Christian guy of mine right here, he's bummed out again. He's giving me a bad name. He's not exalting me or glorifying me. He just looks sad. So there are those times when you need to consult God. When you consult God, he's going to not only tell you you have the right action, but also you need to have the right attitude. What's the right attitude? And when you match those two things together, now you have an opportunity for great ministry. Wherever you're at, in the workplace, in a church, on the streets. So Saul does do one wise thing here. He realizes the Kenites. He, he, he releases them. He realizes that they were kind to him. 
So there's a spiritual, this principle here to take note. So Saul does one thing here. He, he releases these Kenites. He lets them go. There's a spiritual principle here, and we need to take note of. Before wrath is released, the righteous are removed. Before wrath is released, the righteous are removed. You and I will experience this called the rapture. We see it back with Noah also. You'll see this pattern throughout God's word. The pattern goes all the way back to the days of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's removed from, from the destruction of, of that when, when um, Abraham comes to rescue and says, hey, if there's even one righteous or even ten righteous. So we see this here, this pattern. And so this also happens to be my hope. And we know that it will happen in Revelation 3. There's a specific promise given to the church of Philadelphia And as they continue to do what is right, they will be removed. His wrath will be poured down. That's known as the rapture of the church, if you're taking notes. So I see the same thing here. The difference between the Kenites and the Amalekites are, well, the Amalekites were not doing the will of the Lord. The Amalekites were not doing the will of the Lord, and the Kenites were. It was a difference in what they did and and didn't do. It's a difference between what we do, you and I do, and what we don't do. And so just like in Matthew 25, as he gathered together the sheep and the goats, the sheep are doing the will of God. The goats, well, they're not doing the will of God when he talks about that. They're divided, and it's very important that we see the principle of God reiterated and repeated throughout his word. Look at verse 7. It says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and his people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. What is this? What do we have here? I think we can all relate to this. It's called selective obedience, right? You've heard of selective memory and selective listening, Husbands do that with their wives. We have selective obedience. That's what this is. This is a la carte obedience. I'm going to choose and pick what I want to do. This is who you look at, the, the commandments of God, and you say, when we look at that, and we look at those Ten Commandments, and say, um, I'm going to do this one. That's cool. Let me see. Oh, I like this one, remembering the Sabbath. I like that because I get a nap. It's great. Uh-huh, that one's a little too tough, you know, because there's a sporting event on that side. So I'm not going to do the remembering the Sabbath thing because I like that. That's a good day for sports. Um, man, I like this one about coveting. I'm not going to covet. I can do that one. And, you know, no, I can't do that one because I'm going to the mall tomorrow. So I better not do the coveting thing either. Isn't that funny how we do that? Oh, selective obedience. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. 
If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.